the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Got a a lot to get to today. Most of it coming from the mailbag. And this is uh, now that we are inching closer to the offseason. Yes, we still have the college football playoff national championship game. We still have a college football playoff national championship game super preview with our locks. That will be recorded on Thursday. Make sure you subscribe so you can get it. Also, just a little side note, check us out on Spotify. Uh, a lot of people are starting to continue to you know migrate over towards Spotify as their primary podcast platform. We're right there as well. Uh, Apple Podcasts, always, you can find us. The mailbag is going to be a regular part of our off-season planning, so you know how to do it. You go and you leave us five stars, leave a review. It can be nice. It can be critical. We really only ask for five stars. Then Put in your question uh, for the mailbag. It'll get added to the big old bag of mail. We're sitting here recording on Wednesday morning. So um, let's see. News, breaking news. Trevor Lawrence is going to the NFL draft. Everyone nods in approval. We kind of, we figured that was going to be okay. Are you surprised, Tom? Terrible, terrible decision. I mean, <laughs> just horrible. He had, why, it, why would you go be the first pick in the draft and get millions of dollars when you could play another year at Clemson for free? Uh, Ryan Wilson said that he it is one of the only times that he's slated a player at number one and through all 19 iterations and shakeups of his mock draft. He refuses to, to deviate from the, uh, from the mock draft policy, even though he's going to get pressure. It's going to be, hey, we need to mix it up. We need to throw some, throw some gasoline on the fire. You he just is, can't. Yeah, it's he stood by it. Locked. I respect it. A man who's going to yep. stand by his principles all the way through the entire mock draft season. Here, here's a question for you, too. My own question that I'm submitting to today's mailbag. Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be the number one pick in the draft, but the way that the stuff always goes leading up to the draft Will there be a team that talks themselves into a Justin Fields or a Zach Wilson or the great unknown Trey Lance ahead of Trevor Lawrence? And will his draft stock go the same way as the Heisman where you always think he's going to win it, but yet he never won the Heisman while in college. And only Mm -hmm. once a finalist too. Mm -hmm. I think what'll be really, really interesting. And this is a massive if, if Justin Fields lights up Bama and has a very similar performance to what he did against Clemson, there will be some mock drafts. Ooh, you know, there'll be some teams showing interest in Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence. That will absolutely. And maybe if he just has an okay game, like I'm sure you'll see those theories and rumors 
uh, put out there. It's just a matter of whether you believe them or not. I want to know who is going to put together a thousand picks to trade up for one of those two guys. And like <laughs> whether that ends up becoming the rumor. Uh, yeah. Also, last I, have a, I have a mailbag question. Okay. Uh, so, so Tom got one. I, I, I asked for one too. How many times over the course of the history of the cover three podcasts, have we made hype videos? Cause that was a first, the Missouri hype video, the saying that, like, that was pretty cool. I'm sitting there I'm like, why are these guys sending? Because I put it on our group text. I'm like, I know, I know we like uh, what Missouri has done. And uh, Drinkwitz has been our, you know, our, our alpha nerd. Like we've had a real good time with him. And I'm like, what are the, what are they sending this for? And then sure enough, I click on it. And I'm listening and I'm like, those voices sound familiar. <laughs> but but then the worst part about it is if you listen to the voices, it's all we're all throwing them under the bus. Like, there's no way. It's like our open almost to the locks pod and like all those. It was hilarious. So I don't know. I was I was curious if that had ever happened before. We that, that audio is going to be played in the Missouri locker room a lot of times before they play Vanderbilt next season because yes. Eli's going to be like, you hear that guy? Yeah. yeah. You see that guy saying, I don't see more than three wins on this schedule. He works for the other team, boys. Let's, right. go, let's go show him one of those wins. Uh, and to Instant an- bulletin board material. To answer your question, we have made uh, a hype video. In fact, we made when Showtime was doing an all-access Notre Dame season uh, one of the, at least in multiple episodes as part of the like lead up where the same thing, they put together a whole bunch of comments about what we expect Notre Dame's going to be able to do. And I think in those two, we were being haters. Like we're like, I think Notre Dame's really going to have its hands full with Virginia. And then it shows like Deshaun Kaiser throwing a game winning touchdown pass. So like, if you want to use the cover three podcast, uh, for your own, um, chip on the shoulder. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Absolutely. We And we yep. should have known Missouri was on it because they also put us in the game notes. In fact, <laughs> if you want, leave a five-star review and tell us what you want us to say to put in your hype video. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we'll criticize any team that's out there. We'll sell you down the river. We'll do it. No problem. <laughs> and we also protected they would go four and six. They went five and five. Like right. it's not, it's not like massively uh, exceeding the expectations. But hey, listen, we we are uh, supporting the uh, the Alpha Nerd and the Missouri football program, even as we now have ties to uh, Vanderbilt, and as we continue to have our um, old fling that we get back together with only on Thanksgiving break, Georgia and anybody else in the SEC that uh, that we continue to line ourselves up with. Uh, are y'all ready to dive into the big old bag? Oh, Devonta Smith, Heisman Trophy, Danny Cannell. Like I, thumbs I up, forgot, excited about I, it? I had forgot the Heisman Trophy was last night, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I did, like I saw it. I was like, oh, that's right. Um, congrats. Like, I think it's it's cool. I hope we're on this new frontier of voting where we're not lazy, where we don't just plug in the quarterback. Um, so, yeah, I think it's awesome. I think he seems like a great kid. Uh, I think he's perfect for the award. I think... Uh, the the best observation, the best synopsis that I've heard of it is with the quarterbacks. You had Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, and Trevor Lawrence. And you could make a pretty strong case for either one of them. Like different ways, Trevor Lawrence, probably the hardest case to make more than a lifetime achievement. 
But with Devontae Smith, there was no case. You didn't have to make a case. It was so clear-cut. He had distanced himself above any other position player that played wide receiver that it was just that obvious that he dominated that much. So I think I, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. And I hope we get to a place now where we just see things through a different lens, and I think it's a better lens. Let's go ahead and dive into the big old bag of mail. This first question coming from Jay Dunlap. And Mr. Dunlap asks, easily my favorite CFB podcast and in the top two of all podcasts. We're coming for the you. The other one. And whoever's yeah. number one. Right. Uh, the chemistry among the hosts is fantastic and the pod feels like a bunch of guys just talking ball. Also love that no one seems to think that he knows everything. There's no arrogance here. There's just a few genuine CFB fans talking about their favorite sport and inviting us to listen. Absolutely love it. Also, while I have historically been a Danny Cannell hater, oh. he's been surprisingly pleasant addition to the show. I apologize <laughs> to Danny for my past derision. Great choice to add him. Mail, All right. Yeah. Mailbag question. Uh, Although the tweets at the end of the year, you're going to have some, some Ohio State fans are not going to be happy. The, the troll level uh, for the Buckeyes has been quite, uh, quite high, elevated. I'm going to tone it down. That, that is a fan base that is easy to like stoke. You know, <laughs> yes. you get that, you get that Hornets nest going pretty easy. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. I, there are three fan bases. Clemson. I think they're like, these are like the top three fan bases, maybe for obnoxious, like powerful, insulting, easily incited fan bases. Clemson, I think has always been on my side um, for the ACC, obvious reasons. I've been a backer of them. Alabama, was the worst. They hated me the most, but like since they've been really good and they've backed it up and I've been like, you know what? They're probably going to win the national championship. I feel like I've won some of them over Ohio state. I, I really, cause I, I, I was very vocal about them not making the playoff when Penn state won the, uh, the big 10. And then this year saying that again, it's just, it's some of its principled. It's not specific to Ohio state, but their fans don't want to hear that. So, but maybe one day we'll get some Ohio state fans. that will come around. Who's the fourth you said. So we got Clemson oh, no, three. I think there was okay, three. Okay, there were right. three there. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm sure there are way more than three that hate me, but well, Hey, we're, that. we're, we're about to open that up because <laughs> mailbag question, what coaches have lost the most shine in your eyes over the last five to 10 years? Thinking of coaches that used to be stars, but are generally not viewed as favorably now. The one that immediately comes to mind is Kevin Sumlin. I still think he's a decent coach, but a few years ago, if I had told you that he was, but if a few years ago, I would have told you that he's one of the top 10 to 15 coaches in the nation. Recently, my opinion has been significantly revised. Do y'all agree? And who else would you put in that category? I think Arizona agrees uh, that Kevin Sumlin's not one of the top 10 to 15 uh, coaches in the entire country as they have decided to move on from him for a Jed Fish. And I, um, I, I think that Sumlin probably can be grouped in. Well, how about this? I would put Dana Holgerson in that same thing. And there is an entire coaching tree that was uh, the hotness really around the early part of this past decade where you were looking to go and get a piece of it. And, you know, there's the, um, you know, he was at Oklahoma State. Uh, also from the Oklahoma State staff, you know, Larry Fedora was uh, never one of the top 10 to 15 coaches. But I, I would say that there's a, a group of coaches that you could look at and say, uh, what they did offensively was once viewed as a difference maker worth making them the head coach 
and Kevin Sumlin, Dana Holgerson, and some of the others from that coaching tree, I, I do think have fallen off and, and can kind of be viewed as uh, it, we don't look for that in a head coach. And when we're ranking a head coach, that's not going to be enough for us to consider you one of the top 10, 10 to 15 coaches. Yeah, I, I think I think Sumlin and Hogan are two good examples. I think others that come to mind for me are Les Miles, who uh, 10 years ago was, you know, like when we were doing our preseason coach rankings, like he was a top five choice. Now, I don't even know what you put him in the top 25 just based on winning the national title. But other than that, things have gone downhill there pretty quickly. And then seeing how quickly LSU was able to turn things around and win a national title after moving on kind of hurts his stock even a little more. Although I still think he's a good coach. I think that he just didn't adapt to the way the game changed and it caught up to him. Uh, I think another example would be one that was recently fired and Tom Herman in that five years ago, you know, when he was at Houston and he was bringing in Ed Oliver and great recruiting classes, he was the hot young coach. He got the Texas job. I, th- I, I don't think it was a disaster, but obviously it has hurt his stock. I think another coach, I some, yeah, Willie Taggart. I feel like when Taggart first took over after Western Kentucky and then he went to, you know, he took the job, he went to Oregon. He was like, he had the high profile, was only there for a year before Florida State came open. And his profile was high enough that he not only had the Oregon job, but Florida State was willing to take him away only a year later. That didn't work, so I feel like his stock has dropped. So I think those are a few coaches who's in the last five, ten years have really kind of plummeted. Just to echo the Willie Taggart sentiment, um, he was, by a lot of people, a home run hire when Oregon took him from South Florida, when Florida State got him. I mean, Oregon was upset. Like, how how dare he leave us? Um, you know, it is – I mean, you talk about that's a pretty massive fall. Um, it's funny, though, because I was trying to think, is there anybody out there – that's because, you know, your instant um, analysis on this, if you just go to say, all right, who's following? If you look for coaches who have lost, right? And so I, w- I was looking at David Cutcliffe. Like, I think his star as a, you know, hey, this guy does more with less, it's starting to fade a little bit. And I love David Cutcliffe. I don't think it's a bad, makes him a bad coach. I think it shows how tough it is to do it consistently over and over at Duke. Um, do you think Mike Gundy's star has faded somewhat? I think it has. I think... You know, he's been there for 15 years. He's had three seasons now where it's been eight wins or less. Um, You know, this season was suboptimal. Oklahoma has dominated the Big 12. The mullet, I I would say, is getting old. Like, it used to be fun. Hey, this guy's, you know, willing to speak his mind. And then you had the OAN stuff with the shirt. Like, I, I think he's taken, you know, a turn for the worse, whether it's deserved or not. But you talk about shine fading. Mm-hmm. I think Mike Gundy is one of those. Um, so, yeah, those are a couple. And then clearly, like the coaches that get fired recently, absolutely. Oh, I've got one more. Yeah, uh, what you got? Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Mm. If we look at him from, you know, taking the Niners to the Super Bowl, then the excitement that of his arrival at Michigan, some some pretty good teams early on 2015 2016 you know you, you kind of feel like you're getting this upward trajectory but then loss after loss and, and bad losses to Ohio State you know now we're all of a sudden sitting here uh at the beginning of 2021 and you know what what Jim Harbaugh's future at Michigan looks like I'm, we debated on here a lot we've spent a lot of airtime. I, I think that what is not debatable is that his his shine has definitely weaned uh, just a little bit to where we do not look at him uh, in the same kind of light. Justin Fuente, 
uh, was a coach that was, you know, looked like it was Virginia Tech was on the right path. They've kind of fallen off recently. I think it's way too early, but Scott Satterfield, you know, after kind of a tumultuous year two at Louisville, I got one for you again, kind of going for the route of a Mike Gundy coach who's won, but not quite considered as successful. This is a coach that I think if you would have asked a lot of people seven or eight years ago, they would have said top five coach and now does not get in there. It's Gary Patterson. Yes. Just kind of quiet. Like it's, and it's, again, it's not that he's a bad coach, but they haven't been in the conversation for the big 12. Um, you know, they've struggled somewhat under 500 last year. Um, so like, I think his, his shine has absolutely faded where it was, you know, just five or six years ago. You know, Gary, Gary Patterson, I feel like a good comp across conferences is like Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. Like that team from year to year could have like that, like they go up and down. Like I think Iowa has a higher floor because you don't generally see Iowa having losing seasons. They're typically getting to a bowl game every year. And TCU does sometimes have like the four and eight or the five and seven season. But I just feel like it's peaks and valleys. Whereas like Iowa goes from eight wins to occasionally 10, 11. And then TCU is going from like four wins to 10 or 11. Um, two more good, good suggestions from Coca, uh, Chip Kelly, which I would argue might be on the way back up again, right? It's going that way. I mean, you know, we, we, we would kind of lays a powerhouse now. Yeah. We, we rode the yeah. roller coaster where, you know, I guess back 2009, 2010, 2011, we think he's awesome. Uh, you know, what was it, it was instantly with the Eagles, right? Where it like started mm-hmm. good, but then tailed off it was never really great with the 49ers. Then at UCLA, we're worried that it's not going to work. The million-dollar meal table is not coming through for him. And I don't know, man. Good. I, I, I think that that's a, that's a roller coaster that Chip Kelly's – Chip Kelly's got thick enough skin that he can ride out all of those ups and downs. It's kind of – like I kind of think that being at UCLA is the perfect place for him to be able to withstand all that blowback because he knows that uh, that might be the, the best spot for him. Oh, and Scott Frost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Frost's reputation is definitely cratered, but I'm not ready to completely sell my stock on that yet. Too early? I mean, it wasn't that long ago that UCF was undefeated. This, right. There's the thing, like, I've, oh, God, this is going to get me in trouble. I think if Scott Frost maybe was at a different place, he could have more success. Oh, then Nebraska. Yeah. Don't whisper it. Because if Scott be- Frost wasn't at Nebraska, he could have more success. Because yeah. why? Their lack of ability to get the top recruits? Yeah, I think yeah. it's I, I think you have like when he was at UCF, I think he had easier access to the kind of recruits that he needs for what he wants to do. And I think that Nebraska being where it is, it's not, you know, it's not a football hotbed. It's not a high school football hotbed. It's a, it doesn't have a ton of local recruiting talent and it's more of a Midwestern kind of big 10 program. And I just think that the, the way Scott Frost runs things works better outside of the big 10 than it does in the big 10. Hmm. Next question from the mailman. The mailman asks, uh, pre-COVID, the narrative around Texas A&M was that the favorable schedule and influx of young talent had the stars aligned for this to be A&M's best season in a long time. They have delivered for the most part with the sophomore class, and he mentions Marvin Leal, Green, Weidermeyer, uh, Spiller, and Smith being stars of the team. But can you make an argument this will be the best season for the Aggies under Jimbo for the next few years, and it will be tough for them to sustain this success? LSU, Auburn, and Texas sputtering currently may have led some to believe that the Aggies have a bright future. 
So the Aggies, number five in the final college football playoff rankings, finishing with just one loss and that one loss coming to Alabama. Is this as good as it's going to get for Texas A&M or do you all think that uh, Jimbo Fisher can continue to either stay at that level where you're knocking on the door at Alabama? Because I think that would be, I would consider that success if they can continue to stay right there or do you think that this was, you know, as mentioned, a little bit of a stars aligning scenario where uh, LSU has massive turnover, Auburn wasn't really that good, you're starting over at Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas, like, considering the recruiting that Jimbo Fisher has done, yeah, you're absolutely right. They were on schedule to have a good season, so what does the future look like? Do you think that it is reasonable to expect uh, Texas A&M to be a, you know, one loss, two loss team that's finishing in the top 10 for uh, the at least near future. Yeah, I, I think both paths are reasonable. I think you could say that this season is probably as good as it's going to get because you look at it, this is a team that after they do the polls after the title game, they're probably going to finish in the top four. Now, how often is Texas A&M going to finish in the top four with only one loss to the number one or number two team in the country at that point? Probably not very often, but I don't think that I can rule out that this will be the last time it happens because, yeah, LSU had a down year. Auburn had a down year. And Texas has had a down year, but I don't really think that has anything to do with A&M now that they're in the SEC. But it's just... Auburn has never been a program that is winning 10 to 11, 12 games every year anyway. Auburn's got plenty of eight-win seasons in the last few years. Yes, it's it's won the national title. It's played for another. But Auburn always kind of just cycles ups and up and down. LSU just won the national title last year with, like, you know, the greatest team of all time. But LSU, it's always a good team, but it's kind of fluctuates a little bit, too, in recent years. So there's no guarantee that LSU is going to be going, you know, 11-1 and every single year. LSU wasn't doing that already. Alabama is still the only team in that division who really can say that about, like, the team that you really need to worry about who never has a letdown at any point. And I think that the way Jimbo has recruited in College Station puts Texas A&M in a position where it can be the second best team in the division and the biggest threat to Alabama on a yearly basis with Auburn and LSU obviously still involved. And then who knows what happens with Arkansas? Who knows what Lane Kiffin gets going with Ole Miss? And we've got Mississippi State too. So it's going to be a year-to-year thing, and it is always going to be really difficult in that division to be going with one loss every single year and finishing in the top five, competing for a playoff, and staying in the top ten. But... I do think that talent-wise, that the roster they're putting together there, this is a team with that capability. It's just, it is very difficult to do it. I think uh, both can be true in the question that this was the perfect storm. Like, you did have an opportunity to make inroads, and you did. Like, uh, even in a great year, still got beat by Alabama by 28, and that's that's okay. Like, we're talking about Notre Dame. Oh, my gosh. Well, they, they had a great game against Notre Dame, and people are like, oh, how far away are they? Um, but I also – I'm very curious. I mean, obviously, um, I get tied a lot to Jimbo Fisher and some of my opinions because of what, you know, he did to Florida State. He brought them a championship, then left and took the better offer at Texas A&M. Um, so I'm very curious to see how he does and how long the – because I, I don't want to say a honeymoon, but Texas A&M fans are thrilled with Jimbo Fisher, and they should be to this point. But what happens if you go back and it's nine wins? That's still an incredible season, but that's what Kevin Sumlin, who we just talked about, lost some of his shine. 
and he wasn't making the $75 million contract that Jimbo did. I do feel like, and this is the irony in this statement, there is some irony in this statement, is that Jimbo Fisher might just, all he needs is a Johnny Manziel type player, like a difference maker at quarterback, somebody like a Joe Burrow that mm-hmm. look at what he brought to LSU. And it's the same for a lot of coaches, but it's no different for Texas A&M. Like they'll have the pieces around. A lot of it is going to revolve around who is playing quarterback and how good is that player. And if he gets a Jameis Winston, like he'd had at Florida state, then watch out. Even Alabama, you can beat him. But if he doesn't, then it's going to be challenging to get to this one or two loss level every single week. And it is because they play in the SEC West. And it is because they're going to be going against LSU and Auburn and all those teams that they're going to be trying to take down. And by the way, Ole Miss, and that's the only thing I wonder, and we were talking about this a little bit before we came on, Jimbo Fisher's offense, I do think, deserves more scrutiny because how many, I, mean, I was watching the Orange Bowl the other night and listening to, you know, Dan Orlovsky talk about the offense. And he's like, well, this isn't a high powered offense. This isn't designed to blow out teams. Well, look at what Saban did. He evolved. Look at Kirby Smart, the criticism he's taken. I don't know if Jimbo's offense works to get you to that national championship level in 2021 and beyond. I think he's got to make some tweaks and open things up and become a little bit more. Um, evolved than he has right now. Yeah, I, I think what you're saying there too, it kind of it, it tails with what you had just said too about getting the quarterback. I I think that what we could have seen this year from that A and M offense was it was limited by the guy he had at quarterback. And mm-hmm. it's no knock on Kellen Mond; he had a very solid season. But it's just nobody considers Kellen Mond to be a top five quarterback in the country. And I think that if he's able to bring in one of those guys, like the the no doubt difference maker quarterbacks because like if you put Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields on that Texas A&M roster this year that's probably a team that you know very likely Mm. maybe it still loses to Alabama but it doesn't lose by 28 and it's probably in the playoff and I think that if he can get that guy and he can you know he has a guy capable of running the kind of offense that Clemson runs or Alabama runs or Ohio state runs. I, I, I think he would probably be willing to make some changes for it, but I don't know. We, we, we've never seen him with that because when he had Jameis, it was still more of that old school kind of pro style, not really, you know, spreading things out too much. Do you think that final rankings carry weight with fans? I think that I struggle to remember whether or not a team finished at eight or 12 or 13, but I, I, I ask this because Texas A&M uh, finished in the top 10 of the final AP poll, 1992, 1993, 1994. Since then, it's happened just twice. Once in 1998 and once in 2012, the first Johnny football year. And so like finishing in the top 10 of the AP poll. Cause I'm, I'm imagining that Alabama's the ceiling. Like what's Texas A&M ceiling? Well, you ain't, you ain't getting ahead of Alabama. So you're probably not winning sec championships. What is good. And can uh, Texas A&M fans who like Jimbo right now. And as you mentioned, the honeymoon might be over. Are they going to take second place finishes in the sec West and top 10 finishes in the AP poll? Like, is the, is, does the poll carry any weight? Do the final rankings carry weight? If you cannot win a conference championship and if you cannot make the college football playoff, I mean, is that what you're setting your your sights on, I guess? It it should matter, I think. It's going to be different from fan base to fan base. And it's also like, you know, 
just getting tired of it. You know, if, if you're finishing the top 10 every year, but you're never getting into the top four, then at some point finishing in top 10 is just not going to be good enough. But I do think that if you're Texas A&M right now, like you just said, it's happened twice since the early 90s. This is something that you should be happy with. This is something you should be proud of. And this is a team that should be celebrated, even though it didn't win the national title or play for the playoff, because as we've talked about on this show so many times, there's way too much emphasis put on the playoff these days by the media, by the coverage of the sport and by everything. And these other things that should matter, because like for most programs, you're not going to compete for national titles. A top 10 season is really difficult to do. It is something to be celebrated. A top 25 season for a lot of programs is something that should be celebrated and remembered. So I would hope that this is something that like Texas A&M fans are going to remember as a great season and you could still want more, but it's just, I feel like the way that the sport is going, it, it becomes less meaningful every year. You know what I think is massive though? And I think there is a big difference in top 10 and top five or wherever they end up is we got hosed. Like, hey, we should have been in the playoff. We should have been in over Notre Dame. And so that that fan base can feel that. Yeah, we beat North Carolina. We should have been there. And so that gives you a lot of equity if you're Jimbo Fisher. Like, it's easier to forget about the, the, the Alabama loss when you can make a case and say, hey, we should have been in there. They beat Notre Dame. They, they beat North Carolina by the same margin that Notre Dame beat North Carolina. But Notre Dame lost by less. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're trying to get me in trouble (laughs) uh all right coming up on the other side we take a look at the uh, coaching case the profile and the future of some coaches that experienced very good seasons in 2020 and we've got a college football fan free agent looking for a home we will listen to his or her plea we will try to put them in the right position next This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, this next question, subject, build the Tom Allen statue. Here we go. Been listening to this podcast for a few years, and it's by far the best college football podcast out there. I've recommended to several of my fellow CFB fanatics and will continue to do so. Keep up the great work. Oh, and I guess Danny isn't too bad after all. Yes. Winning them over one at a time. Mail- is, is Indiana a good football team? <laughs> <laughs> Mailbag question. Uh, I posed the question last offseason about the ceiling of Indiana football, having no idea what this year had in store. In my ideal world, IU continues to be a seven to eight win program with the upside of beating one of the Big Ten powers once every few seasons. My question is about the future of Tom Allen. I've been of the belief that Allen loves coaching at Indiana and won't leave unless a true blue blood comes calling. 
Am I crazy to think there's no way Tom Allen would leave IU for a job like Virginia Tech? What is the type of job that you think Tom Allen would leave IU for, and how realistic is it for the Hoosiers to retain him? Love the show. Go Hoosiers. I think it depends on the commitment that the school and the athletic department wants to make to football because it's fair or not like something that you see with a lot of schools like basketball schools or schools that are considered basketball schools is they don't always put in the kind of commitment that you need to have the kind of season that Indiana had this year and to maintain that. But I think as far as salaries are concerned, I don't think there are a lot of jobs that are better than the Indiana job for Allen if he's able to get what he wants and able to do what he wants there. Like, I don't like he meant the questioner mentions Virginia Tech. I think that's clearly a step up in the minds of the national kind of college football, you know, hive mind. But in reality, I don't know if it's that much of a step up in jobs for Tom Allen to be like, oh, yeah, I want to go start over here besides what I've done here, because, you know, Tom Allen is from the state of Indiana. He's a native of the state. And I think that he could turn that program and bring it up again, just like I did with TCU earlier in the show. He could turn Indiana into something of the Iowa of the Big Ten East in which, no, you're probably not going to be able to compete with Ohio State or Penn State or maybe even Michigan on an annual basis and beat all of those three teams and win the division and play for conference titles. But you can compete. And you could, you know, be a thorn in their side and you can be that clear fourth best team going in every single year that has the ceiling of climbing up to third and second when you go through the right cycles. And maybe in a down year, you could win a division title. I think Tom Allen can do that at Indiana. And I think that if you consider the history of Indiana football, that would be something I think most Indiana fans would take in a heartbeat. Just consistent success, winning six, seven, eight games at a minimum per year with a ceiling of 9, 10, 11, 12. I mean, I think if you're Indiana, what more could you realistically ask for? Totally agree. I do think it's interesting that Tom, uh, excuse me, Tom Allen coming off a coach of the year type of award. Like I was just looking up, you know, some of the, the Harbaugh rumors. Is he leaving if Dan Mullen goes to the NFL? And so you look at, uh, you know, potential next head coaches in college football. Tom Allen's name doesn't come up on a lot of the list. It's Matt Campbell. It's Billy Napier. It's Jamie Chadwell. It's like the young, hot hires, right? Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, Tom Allen isn't that sexy name. I think he should be. I think he'd be a great coach for any school to consider. Um, so, like, I think if you're worried about him leaving for another job, I think you should feel pretty good about him being there. I think also, I think he's a perfect fit for yes. Indiana. And there's something, and he's perfect fit for the Big Ten. Uh, And I think there's something to be said about the coaches that we mentioned earlier in this podcast about their shine has worn off. Gary Patterson's been at TCU a long time. Kirk Ferentz has been at Iowa a long time. They've all been consistent winners. Like, you know exactly what you're going to get. I think I I would not be shocked at all if we're sitting here in 10 years and it's year 14 of Tom Allen and we're like, hey, Indiana's got some seniors coming back. Like, hey, this could be their year. Like, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that was the situation. But I, I guess I'm more surprised that Tom Allen's name doesn't come up more in some of these openings that take place. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of, next question uh, from an optimistic cyclone. Love the pod. Always ready for the newest drop so I can laugh at the banter between all of you, especially the Locks Pod. P.S. I appreciate the addition of Danny and the money he has made me. 
Ooh, all right. Question. Oh, see, now we know. He must have made it in the regular season. (laughs) Danny's been making everybody rich. They're like, you know what? (laughs) I was wrong about this guy. (laughs) Uh, Question. There was much talk on the pod this week about landing spots and courtship of Matt Campbell. This was on December 8th, by the way. So about a month ago. Uh, But there was never a thought or mention that he could or would stay at ISU. Do you all believe it is out of the question that he stays or just highly unlikely? I don't think it's out of the question at all. I, I think that, I mean, Iowa State has. He's a D3, football. like he's got that Mount Union background, right? I mean, yeah. the guy the guy just likes coaching ball. And Iowa State is a football school. They care about their football program. They are putting the money into their football program. They're doing everything that you need to do to be on the level where you they want to be and where he's kind of already gotten them into where they're you know beating Oklahoma. They're playing for Big 12 titles. So, yes, he could stay there. The only question is it depends on which, like if Michigan comes along, that's hard to say no to. If Ohio State ever came along, that's hard to say no to NFL. I don't know. I, I don't know how Matt Campbell feels about wanting to coach in the NFL compared to college. Some coaches are interested in that. Some coaches love being at the college level because they love everything that goes along with the sport. And that's where they want to be. And I, I have no idea which one he prefers or if he even cares. So there are jobs that could come along, but I don't think that it is a fait accompli that he's going to leave one day. You know, one of my favorite things I just discovered about Matt Campbell this week. What? You guys know who his, you guys know who his agent is? Is it Jimmy Sexton? Jimmy? He doesn't have one. Ooh, I love that. Like Harbaugh. to me, that just says like, exactly. Like I, I just think it says something about a guy when he doesn't have an agent, he's not worried about, Hey, I'm floating rumors and I'm trying to angle to get the Michigan job or to get the Florida job. If it came open, but I, I, I would be worried if I was an Iowa State fan. Maybe not this season, um, but just I think the offers will be too good. His name always comes up, whether it's in the NFL, and I think you make a great point. I have no idea. Like I, Dabo Sweeney, never going to the NFL. I just don't ever picture that. I, Matt Rule was a done deal. Like you, every year is like, oh, he's going to the NFL before it even happened. Uh, Matt Campbell, I have no idea what he values. I feel like he's a college coach but he's young, you know, he still might want to see that as an opportunity and the money might be there. I just feel like there's going to be an opportunity that's too good to pass up. And I, I, and this is, this is going to sound like a knock against Iowa state. Like if you're just a purist and you're a football coach, you want to get in to win championships, right? You want to win a national championship. You want to be at the height of your game. That's incredibly hard to do at Iowa state. It's possible. You know, you catch lightning in a bottle. It's possible, but your chances of accomplishing that increase dramatically at a Michigan, at a Florida, at some of the schools that are going to come knocking on his door. So that's where I think, but I don't, I don't know when it happens, but I, I would enjoy him while he's there and embrace it and make him feel great. And kind of just every year, kind of creep, keep your fingers crossed. You know, I, you know, I, I think that he's a college coach the way he wears his hat. <laughs> like he wears a hat like a dude in Sigma Chi. He just he, he's, he wears his hat like a college kid, and it just it's like okay, no, that's a college coach because you don't see NFL coaches wearing their hats like that, and that that's just what makes me think no, this is a college guy for life. Well, also yeah. the uh, the the NFL hat game has just been revolutionized by Shanahan, it's just making the flat bill part part yes. of the new school. <laughs> <laughs> All we need now is for uh, a college coach or an NFL coach to have the rope hat. 
you know, like the, <laughs> the rope across the front, maybe with the trucker yes. on the back. We could, we could really start to see uh, style uh, revolutionized in terms of headgear. All right. This next question comes from Ben. Hey guys, love the show. Two questions. I'm currently a high school junior and I've begun to think about where I'm going to college. One of my decision factors will be football because I'm a CFB nerd without a favorite team. I'd like to go somewhere with an up and coming program. What are some schools that you guys think are on the rise? Not any of the usual playoff contenders. Also, will there be a worst team in FBS argument at the end of the season? Okay, so Tom, we'll let you do this one first since you are the bottom 25 expert. Uh, also, will there be a worse team at the FBS at the end of the season? Personally, I think the choice is down to ULM and UMass. UMass would be the easy winner, but they're in the Ohio State situation. Have they played enough games to be the worst team in FBS with 12 points for and 161 against through four games? I would argue that just like Ohio State, the number of games doesn't matter. Uh, I mean... I have to, the bottom 25 playoff will be played next week and UMass, you know, I had, I had a four game minimum for teams to get in. So UMass did qualify and I don't want to spoil anything, but I would say that UMass has a decent chance of being the worst team in the country. (laughs) Okay. And so when I also first read this, I didn't realize that we were making a recommendation on where to go to college. I thought he was just, I thought he was just trying to pick a school. I mean, if we're just doing where to go to college, go to Arizona state. I guess like you do get the up and coming program, but also Arizona state, right? Hey, let me make the case for Tallahassee while we're in here. Okay. (laughs) Pictures for schools. Like what was his name again? Did he give his name or no? Ben. No no name. All right. Ben. Ben. Yeah. So Ben, you know, you're going to learn this one day when you take a class in finance and you get to uh, college with the stock market, you want to buy low. That's what you want to do. You don't want to buy high. Like you don't want to get in on the end of a dynasty at Clemson or Alabama. You want to buy something that's been battered, bruised, and there's still a lot of upside. That's what you've got in a Florida State football program that is on the cusp of Mike Norvell in year two. You're going to see an incremental improvement this season. He's going to find his quarterback. Mackenzie Milton's coming there. So all of a sudden, you're going to go to a game. You're going to see one of the greatest traditions in all of college football. When Chief Osceola on top of Renegade plants that spear, there is no better pregame atmosphere than there. Then all of a sudden, you start getting a little bit better. So by your sophomore year, you start getting into the conversation for the playoffs. Can this be the year? Maybe come up a little short, but, you know, hey, you still be have competitive games. Start knocking off your rivals in Miami, getting closer to Clemson. And then when you're a junior, you'll be in the you'll be in the mix. You'll be in the hunt. You can start buying your tickets for the playoff sites. You can get them out, start planning. And I don't even have to say anything about the fun that you'll have while you're there, while you're attending Florida state, whether the football team is good or not, you will still have an outstanding time and you might just meet your wife down the road. Like I did not hey. while we were in college though. Thankfully, I don't know if we would have survived. <laughs> we met after I was graduated, but there will be plenty of options for you. Uh, whatever you uh, so choose to go after. That's, that's a fine choice. But I think that for a cover three podcast listener, there's only, there's only one choice. Don't say for Nelly Tech. <laughs> no. Okay. Barton A&M, Vanderbilt University. Yeah. Mm. That is the team you should adopt. I mean, they've they've made an exciting new hire in Clark Lee as their defensive coordinator, and he's brought on Barton Simmons to help him build a winner in Nashville. And if there's anybody out there who I believe is capable of not only finding the talent and identifying the talent, but helping instill that winning culture, 
it's Barton Simmons. So get on the Commodore ship while you can because SEC East championships are on the way. Mm, I cannot imagine that the applicants to Arizona State and Florida State are also applying to <laughs> Vanderbilt. You better go get yourself one of them Derrick Rose SAT situations <laughs> so you can try and, uh, try and figure out a way to get it done. Hey, but we know someone. We know someone who might be able to yeah. uh, to help to help Letter do that. Of recommendation. That's right. That's eight hey, goes a long way at some of those private schools. I hear. I wouldn't know. I'm just a dummy that went big public all the way. But uh, <laughs> I, I hear that if you can pull the the right strings, you can do that. Uh, he is Tom Fernell. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Thursday we will be recording. The National Championship Game Super Preview, matchups to watch, the angles and storylines we're most excited about, and, of course, our locks against the spread and on the total. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Got it. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.